One of the things for which I am very, very thankful is that I am a citizen of these United States. I am so very thankful that in the providence of God that somehow or another I was born to a family in Gallipolis, Ohio, in the nation that's known as the United States. Even today, as I hear the national anthem being played at a sporting event or some function, when I stand, I place my hand over my heart, and I'll be quite honest with you, there are circumstances when the Star-Spangled Banner, our national anthem is being played, that I might get a little misty-eyed or maybe get some, some goosebumps, because I'll be quite honest with you, I'm proud to be an American citizen. Some of you, like myself, have had the opportunity to be on foreign soil. And whenever we're in another country, it so makes you appreciate the land that we love. It makes you appreciate the fact that we have such an abundance of freedom. It makes you appreciate the fact that we have such an abundance of wealth. There is such a stark contrast between our nation and the rest of the world. And I am so very thankful for this country. This is the land that we love. And I'm sure everyone here that in spite of its shortcomings, in spite of its failures, in spite of its problems, we are so very happy that we are American citizens. But this morning, I want to talk to you about a different type of citizenship. A citizenship that's more important. A citizenship that I want each and every one of us to have and appreciate. A citizenship that as we think about it, it should bring tears to our eyes and goosebumps all over us because it's the most special, the most valuable, the most wonderful citizenship that a person could ever have. This morning I want to talk to you about our heavenly citizenship, our citizenship in heaven. For the last several months we have been studying the book of Philippians and I know not everyone can get here for Bible class, and as I'm studying this particular text and, and sharing it with the class, there are certain sections of Scripture that I'm just sorry that I also have to have a sermon on. My mind will start turning, and I'll start thinking about things, and I'll think to myself, well, you know, that would make a good sermon. We need to, to have more than just a Bible class on this. I need to share this with everybody so they can benefit from us. And as Grady has already read from uh, Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 through 21, I want to read again from this text because it talks about our citizenship in heaven. The King James Version uses the word conversation, which is very misleading because conversation makes you think of lifestyle or walk, and that is something that we need to consider. But the Greek word there for conversation, as it's correctly translated in Grady's translation, is the word that we get politics from, polilito. And it means citizenship. And so the better translation here uh, would be, For our citizenship is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto His glorious body, according to the working whereby He is able even to subdue all things unto Himself. This morning I want us to take this text and I want to make three very simple points. Three very obvious points. Uh, nothing theological, theologically amazing here. Nothing's going to astound you because of my homiletic ability. But instead, I just want to point out some obvious things that make us appreciate the fact that we are citizens of the most wonderful thing 
because we are indeed Christians and because of what's going to happen in the future and because of the fact that God loves us so very much. First thing I want you to think about this morning is the obvious thing that stands right out, and that is our citizenship is in heaven. The text reads, for our citizenship is in heaven. Now, when we first read those words, we say, well, that's something nice to think about. Um, He's making a valid point. It it makes me think about the fact that um, I'm a Christian, and uh, I'm a part of God's family, and, and I have a home in heaven, and all that good stuff. But folks, when the church at Philippi read this, they immediately thought of something that conjured something up in their mind. This was something that Paul did for effect, for purpose. You see, the church at Philippi was a Roman colony. Now, that might not mean a whole lot to you, but it meant a whole lot to them. They were a Roman colony in a Greek world. Now, make sure you understand what that means. They were in the land of Greece. They were not in Italy or the land of Rome. All the cities that surrounded them were conquered Greek cities. In other words, the Roman soldiers came in, and as they came to Athens, as they came uh, to Sparta, as they came to these other places in that region of Asia Minor, they conquered those cities, and they became Roman possessions. They were still Greek cities under Roman rule, but the, church, but the city of Philippi was nothing like that. The city of Philippi was a city that was created by a group of people leaving Rome and establishing a colony within the Greek nation and built up a city that was full of Roman citizens. Roman citizens living in a Greek world. They had all the Roman customs. They followed all the Roman laws. They had all the Roman privileges. They... Uh, got the special tax breaks, if you will, for being a Roman citizen instead of being a Greek. All the things that, that were a part of their life was based on being Rome and being a part of the Roman scenario, if you will, even though they were so far away from the city of Rome and the nation itself. They were a Roman colony, and in every aspect, even though they weren't in Rome, They still were a part of Rome. Here's the point that Paul wants them to understand and appreciate, especially the church at Philippi. Paul is basically saying, church at Philippi, you are like a colony that has been planted by heaven. You are like someone who is heaven's colony. You realize that you're not in heaven right now. But everything about you is about being a citizen in heaven. You get to enjoy all the privileges. You get to enjoy everything that's associated with heaven. And when they thought about that, they can make the connection in their minds, even if we can't make it today. Yes, we are not where we need to be, the church at Philippi understood. But even though we're not home, if you will, in Rome... We're still a part of that family. We're still a part of that nation. We are still citizens of Rome. And so when Paul wrote these words to the church at Philippi, it made them think immediately of the fact that they were dual citizens, if you will. Yes, they were citizens of Rome, but more importantly, they were citizens of heaven. 
Yes, they were citizens of Rome, even though they didn't live in Rome. And they were citizens of heaven, even though right now they weren't living in heaven. They understood and appreciate what it meant to be a citizen, but be somewhere else. Now, as you take that and start thinking about that, you see what Paul says is so fitting to us today. We live in a world today that is not really our home. We are just strangers and pilgrims passing through. When the things of this world get us down and we, and we get discouraged and we get distracted, we understand and appreciate the fact that this is not our true home. Our true home is up in heaven. We've established a life here. We, we, we live here and raise our families here and work here. But it's just like we're a colony. A colony from heaven. But our real citizenship is in heaven. But there's another point that Paul is making, and he, and he brings us out a little bit further in chapter 4. But when he reminds them that they are citizens in heaven, he is pointing out something very, very important to them that would give them a lot of assurance, that would make them feel good, and give them a reason to rejoice, if you will. As I told you before, the book of Philippians is all about rejoicing. It's all about joy. It's all about understanding and appreciating the fact when Paul says those words, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, there's some reasons for this. And one of them is that you're a citizen in heaven. Well, why is that such a big deal? Well, Paul wants them to think about this, and I'm going to show you this verse in a minute in verse 3 of chapter 4. But he wanted them to think about the fact, in order to be a citizen of the colony of Philippi, guess what had to happen? You had to have your name written in the official books in the city of Rome. In other words, if I decided I was going to live in the, in the colony there at Philippi, that Roman colony, I would have to prove before I moved in that I was a Roman citizen. And somebody at the magistrate's office or customs office or whatever, would say, well, how can you prove you're a Roman citizen? I would point to them and say, my name is in the book. Check with Rome. My name is in the book. It proves that I am a citizen of the city of Philippi. And because I am a, city, a citizen of the city of Philippi, I have all the rights and, and, th- and things that are, that are given to me, I'm, I get to have. Because my name is written in the book. Now, once again, Paul used this particular phrase that we are citizens in heaven, especially to the church at Philippi. Their minds immediately thought about the fact, well, if I'm a citizen, that means that my name is written in the city of Rome. But if I'm a citizen in heaven, guess what that means? My name is written in heaven. In fact, a little bit later on, after talking about some Christians there in Philippi, even some Christians who weren't exactly doing what they were supposed to do. The whole discussion started because two women were fighting with each other. He brings out the point, he says, whose names are in the book of life. Talking about there were members there at Philippi who were citizens in heaven, and because of that, their names are written in the book of life. Now notice I have highlighted the word are here because it doesn't say will be. It doesn't say one day. It doesn't say that I hope this is the case. The word are there, which is interesting, is not even in the original Greek. So certain was Paul this that he left out the verb here at all and just simply has in the original Greek whose names in the book of life. 
nailing it down, saying, this is absolutely the case right now. In other words, the church at Philippi understood and appreciated the fact if they were truly citizens of heaven, then they were on the rolls. If they weren't on the rolls, if they weren't in the book of life, then there's no possible way they could be citizens. It just doesn't simply work with logic. A person can't claim to be a citizen of a place, but yet his birth record, his name, is not on the citizenship roll. Jesus put it this way, Rejoice because your names, and this time the verb was used, are written in heaven. Once again, that is not past tense, that is not future tense, that is not anything but the here and now. Right now, Paul was able to say to those of us who are Christians that we are citizens of heaven and our names are written in the citizenship role or in the book of life. Now, I don't know about you, but I understand now why Paul said those words. He's giving us a reason to rejoice. I don't have to guess, I don't have to wonder if we are those who are following Jesus Christ Our citizenship is in heaven, and we are written in the Lamb's book of life right now. Well, even those in Paul's day, in fact, when he said, rejoice in the Lord always, again, I say rejoice, there were always going to be people who objected to that. Myself included, sometimes we look at ourselves, and we think about who we are and what we are. And we think about how that we are not worthy to be written in the Lamb's book of life. We think about the fact that there's no way in the world I can currently right now be a citizen in heaven and be on that roll. And that bothers us and we say it's just simply not possible. How can that be the case? Well, Apostle Paul took care of that for us. In Colossians chapter 1 verses 12 through 14, he nails it down when he says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In the book of Ephesians, he said it another way. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in the kindness to us In Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. But notice what he points out here. Paul had said it to the Philippians. And now he's saying it to the Ephesians in just another way. But notice what he says here. He says God has raised us up. When a person becomes a Christian, they die to the old man of sin and they are buried in the watery grave of baptism and they rise to walk in newness of life. He says that when God has raised us up with Christ, what has He done? He has seated us. Once again, this is not future tense. This is not something that we look forward to. Since God has raised us up with Christ, He has seated us 
with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In other words, our citizenship is in heaven. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I say rejoice. But then there's something else brought out in the text. Our king is coming. The text reads like this, From whence also we look for the Savior. Now once again, when we hear those words or read them in our Bibles, we don't get the full impact of what the Philippians were feeling. They were thinking about how they were a Roman colony, and they were far away from Rome. But when he said, For whence we look for a Savior to come, their mind immediately went back to the fact that sometimes the greatest event that took place in the city of Philippi, in fact, some commentators think that this had happened recently. One of the greatest events that took place in that city was when the Roman king or the Roman emperor paid a visit. It was the highlight of the year. It was the highlight of the decade sometimes. If somebody from Rome, the one who rule had rule over them, would make a visit to their city. The reason why some commentators think that this was something that happened recently because of some of the archaeological finds that were in that time where the city of Philippi built some new roads. They built some new beautiful and, and, and wonderful public buildings. They did other things. And it was all, they think, in the celebration of the fact that the king was coming. The king is coming, and therefore, we're going to make sure when he gets here that this is the most wonderful event that ever took place. Because they knew if the king was coming, that that would show them once and for all that they were citizens of Rome. He would come, and he would bring with him very special blessings. Because don't you know, the king has come to see us. And there may have been some who because of different responsibilities and whatnot, and, and now have the opportunity to travel back with the king, that they would leave that Roman colony and go back to actually to the city of Rome. Now once again, we don't have to stretch our imaginations too much to see how the Philippian brethren can make that connection, but of course they were to make the spiritual connection that Paul had in mind. And that we too one day are going to have our king, if you will, our savior come back from heaven where he now dwells, but he's going to come and get us because we are citizens of heaven. And that's going to be a wonderful event. That's going to be the most important event ever in our lives, the most important event ever in the world. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Titus chapter 2 and verse 13. He says, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. He put it another way in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven and with a loud command and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. When the emperor of Rome came into the city of Philippi, there was fanfare, there was trumpets playing, there was cheering, there was people who were so grateful that he was there. Can you imagine what that grand homecoming in the sky is going to be like when we hear that shout, when we hear that trumpet, when we hear the voice of the archangel, and we know it's time to go home. It's time to go where our citizenship really is. I don't know if this is the case or not, but I've been told before that when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, the reason why he was very specific 
when he was raising him from the dead, you remember how he said, Lazarus, come forth. The reason why he was very specific to Lazarus, because if he had simply shouted, come forth, every single dead person in the history of the world would have come forth. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but it is interesting that he named him by name. But the time is coming when he won't just pick out one person and say, come forth. He will give the shout, all who are dead, come forth. And those of us who are citizens in heaven, whose name are in the book of life, who have been enrolled there, we will get to be with the King and be able to be risen with Him and live with the redeemed of all the ages. Our King is coming. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. But then there's one final point that Paul makes that should have special significance to us, and that is that we shall be changed. The text reads, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like his glorious body. Now one of the things that Paul had been talking about in this book and the emphasis even now that he was trying to make to the church at Philippi was the fact that our bodies now, anything that the flesh could do uh, has its limitations. In fact, the King James Version uses the word vile there and that sounds almost too grotesque, and it is, because literally what it is, it means this body of humiliation. This is a body that we are humbled by. This is a body that has limitations. This is a body that could only do certain things. Paul was dealing with Judaizing teachers in the church at Philippi who were trying to convince the members there that by works of the flesh they could attain the status that they need, and Paul emphasizes that there's no way in the world that this body can do anything. As far as God is concerned in earning our salvation or, or being pleasing to Him, it is, King James says, a vile body, but it's literally a body of low esteem, a low estate, a body of humiliation. I'm, limit, I'm limited to what I can do for this body. I'm limited as far as being in one place, more, in more than one place. I'm limited as far as being everywhere and, and, and instead of just being in one place and at one time period. I have appetites that have to be satisfied. I have to deal with temptations that have to be dealt with. There's so many limitations put upon this body. It's no wonder when the King James translators looked at it, they didn't want to use the word humiliation because they didn't think it was strong enough. They said, this is a vile body. Because of all the limitations. Now once again, Paul is alluding to the fact uh, in the Philippians' mind that there were some limitations they had being a Roman colony. Uh, they really couldn't get to Rome because they were over 600 miles away. They, that's a long distance back then. They would have to cover uh, the Mediterranean Sea and they couldn't really make that trip. It's very, very expensive. They may have heard about the great palaces of Rome. They maybe have heard about the Colosseum there. They may have heard about the different games that took place there. They may have heard about the theater. They may have heard about all the wonderful delights of the food that were there and whatnot. But they weren't in Rome. They were limited to certain things because of where they were and who they were. And so once again, Paul is driving forth the, the point that the day will come when all that will change. And this body that is full of limitations, so many limitations, if we are honest with ourselves, we'd find out how limited we are. But the text says that one day, this body of humiliation is going to be fashioned like His glorious body. 
The contrast that's being made is, I'm going to go from a body that's limited to an unlimited body like Jesus Christ. I'm going to be transformed like unto His glorious body. And the way that he's able to do this, the text goes on and he says, oh, well, let's talk about this first. I'm going to go back to this and then we'll come back to this one. The text says, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. In other words, the power that Jesus Christ has is the power that's going to change us. Now to go back to the verse I got out of place here, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2, it says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. John reminds us in that great book of Assurance, 1 John, that we are now the sons of God, and we in our bodies of humiliation, don't really understand how this is going to happen, what our bodies are going to be like, but we do know that when He does come back, that we're going to be like Him. All those limitations are going to be gone. In fact, notice what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 1. He says, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. He uses the word tabernacle there in the King James, but it's the idea of the fact that this is just a tent. Tabernacle means tent. And our bodies are just a tent, a temporary dwelling place, if you will. Uh, There may be a few people in the world who live in tents their entire life, if they're nomads and whatnot, but most people don't live in a tent. It's a temporary thing. Even the tabernacle that was built for the Jews, for God to dwell in and for them to worship, it was called a tabernacle, not a temple, because it was a temporary thing. And this tent that we live in, this body is a temporary thing, but one day it's going to be changed into a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. In other words, the physical, fleshly side of things don't have anything to do with it. They'll be fashioned by the spiritual hands of God. It will be a body that lasts forever, eternal in the heavens. Earlier, Paul had wrote the church at, First Corinthians, at Church of Corinth in First Corinthians, and he brings out this very important point. So also in the resurrection of the dead, it is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, 
and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. When Paul wrote those words to the church at Philippi, he wanted them to think about the fact that they were dual citizens. Yeah, they were a colony from Rome, and and even though they didn't live in Rome, they were still citizens of Rome. And he wanted them to appreciate the fact that they, even though they weren't in heaven now, uh, they were still God's colony here on this earth. Uh, They were still citizens in heaven. It's interesting In order to be a Roman citizen for the most part, there were a few exceptions to this, but there were men who bought their citizenship, if you will, but the majority of people who were Roman citizens were born that way. Uh, In order to be written into the roll book at Rome, you had to basically have a birth certificate that said you were born uh, in the city of Rome, and then you were recorded in that particular book as being a citizen. There were some who, as I said, were able to buy their citizenship, but it cost a great price. It cost uh, more money than most people had the ability to even make in, in a lifetime of jobs. But there were a few who bought those particular things. And I think today we need to make the contrast. If we're going to be citizens in heaven, then we too need to be born into that citizenship. There was a man by the name of Nicodemus who came to Jesus and Uh, during the night, we might call him Nick at night, came to Jesus and he said, you know, what what do I need to do in order to be a part of the kingdom of God? In other words, what do I need to go to heaven? Or in other words, what do I need to do to be a citizen of heaven? And you remember what Jesus told him in John 3 and verse 5? He says, you must be born again. In other words, before you can be a citizen of heaven, you've got to be born into that. And so he makes a wonderful illustration that in order to be a part of the family of God and be written on the rolls and to be a citizen of that place called heaven, we must be born again. And we've already touched on this briefly, but a person is born again, as Jesus tells Nicodemus, when you are born of water and the Spirit. In other words, when a person is baptized for the remission of their sins, they die to the old man, their old citizenship, Buried in that watery grave of baptism, and then they rise to walk in newness of life, the newness being that now they are citizens of heaven. Their names are written in the Lamb's book of life with all the rights and privileges that go along with that. Well, somebody says, you just mentioned, Jim, that there are some who bought their citizenship, and they became Roman citizens. Oh, yeah. yeah, there were some. The price was humongous. The price was astonishing. And then we think about the fact that Paul tells us, for you have been bought with a price. Yeah, our citizenship has been bought, even those of us who have been born into it because we have obeyed the commands of Jesus Christ, but there was a cost involved. It cost the thing that heaven had the best of. It cost the precious blood of Jesus Christ. This morning, if you're a citizen in heaven, I want to remind you once again what the Apostle Paul said, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. But if you're not a citizen of heaven, we hope today before it's everlastingly too late that you'll do what you need to do to be born into that beautiful, wonderful citizenship, the family of God, where one day our king is going to come back and he's going to change this humble body of low estate 
and turn it into his glorious body. And we will live, for him, live with him forever as citizens of the kingdom of God, our heavenly home. If you have a need this morning, won't you come as together we stand and sing.